Welcome to Understanding Aged Care, a show that is designed to give you the tools and the knowledge and the information and the confidence to have difficult conversations and to be armed with what can feel like just a really crummy, crummy thing to go through, especially if you're doing it by yourself. My name is Rachel Corbett and I'm joined by the Director of Aged Care Planners, Andrew Kay. Andrew, this is the last episode. Is this the last episode? This Already? Is the, we've gotten to the last episode. I can't episode. believe that we have taken on the Australian Aged Care System and we're just about there. Bang. We have solved it and completely we demystified can, it in six short episodes, we can hey? See the checkered flag, and the checkered flag is <laughs> residential aged care. <laughs> exactly. So, if you have just popped into this episode because you are at the point where you are looking at aged care for a loved one, make sure you pop back to the earlier episode where we talk about residential respite, but we do cover a lot of things like how to pick the right aged care provider and what you should do when you're touring facilities and that kind of stuff. And often, respite is a really great way to transition into a full-time aged care facility if you want to sort of try before you buy and have your loved one sort of experience it and also for you to feel comfortable and see if that's somewhere where they could call home. So make sure you listen to that episode before this one. At this point, if we've decided, okay, we definitely need to go into full-time care, what do you actually need or should, because you've had that ACAT assessment with all of those things, including hopefully residential care, you've got everything that you need to go into residential? You've got the framework of what you need to right. go into residential care. So you've done the ACAT assessment. Again, if we go back to that home care one, we're pushing, make sure that it includes permanent residential care. If you're worried about mum and dad, you think that they might need to move into residential care, get them to give you the letter that came from the ACAT assessors. It'll tell you whether or not they've got the approval. If they don't, you're going back to square one, you need to get an ACAT assessment for permanent residential care. If you haven't had an ACAT and it's a hospital situation, they can do the ACAT in hospital. But you are only going into aged care. But you are only going to go into permanent residential care. And that is on the that often occurs when you're told that they're not going to be released to go home. The most common one for that is either frailty or when you've had broken hips and things as a result of falls, okay? And the mobility is so badly affected, they're not going to be released. Or the home environment isn't suitable. Or you haven't done what we did for home care and built a care infrastructure at home for them to go back to. Big question that we sort of touched on right at the beginning of the series that would be important to flesh out here. Do you have to have money to go somewhere nice? Nice and good care. Two different things. They don't necessarily go hand in hand. Gold taps, marble foyers do not necessarily translate to great care, as the Royal Commission did highlight with a couple of places. But we're really fortunate in Australia that we've got a heavily subsidised aged care system. Aged care is available to everybody. Good quality aged care is available to everybody. You may find that if you're a sole pensioner, you don't own your own home, you've got $10,000 in the bank, that you would qualify as what is called a low means or a concessional resident. That means that the care home would take you on board and the government will pay the rest of your costs. All that you're going to pay out of your age pension is your basic daily care fee, which is the currently 52-odd dollars a day. Are those beds hard to get? Because I'm assuming Those beds are really difficult to get, yeah. so you do have to shop around. Some places don't take concessional residents. Some only have one bed available for concessional residents. So what is your best option then if you don't have a huge I've had concessional residents go into really good aged care homes right. and get really, really good quality care. So okay. it's just about doing your research and going out there and trying a lot of places doing the research hitting the phones finding the places or getting a placement agent or someone to help you that knows where you'll get concessional beds and can also negotiate with the care provider to get you in on a concessional basis Mm -hmm. what about if you find somewhere you like it 
it doesn't have a bed, you then have to try and find somewhere else and potentially still go on a wait list to go Correct. into the place you want. Correct. And would you tell the person or the place that you were staying in or would you be going there on a full-time basis in the hopes that eventually when a bed came out, the other place you'd Keep go? your cards to your chest. Keep choices on your <laughs> right. side of the table. Okay. 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 What about, you know, a lot of people are really fearful about everything that's come out through the Royal Commission and we seem to only ever play stories of one version of aged care and that is the really dark, horrible stories that people have become very fearful of. But in your experience doing this every single day, is this a really good outcome for people? I, I think it's a terrific outcome. Um, uh, for people. Yes, there have been issues in aged care. Yes, the system is has got flaws. Yes, there are some systemic things that, that, that apply to it. You can do that across any number of, of professions or areas that we, you know, the healthcare system as a whole, some people would challenge. I've had fantastic care outcomes uh, for families. I've had maybe in the last eight years, one or two cases where there were, were considerable failings in terms of the delivery of care, but they were anomalies. You know, They weren't systemic in the care provider. And it comes down to, I think, ensuring that you've chosen the right home by doing the checklist that we walked through before, You know, when we were looking at going into respite. You do the same sort of checklist when it's permanent residential care as well. You're looking at how the staff interact with each other, how they interact with the residents. You look at the food, the quality of food. You monitor the medication process and so forth. You have regular meetings with the director of care inside that home to check that the care plan that you put in place is being followed. And you've got to know what your rights and obligations are for you as a resident, but also the care provider's rights and obligation to you as a resident of that home. And you should feel as a family member like you are being fully communicated with about everything. One of the good things about where my dad is, is that they're always ringing me to tell me about whether, you know, he's lost a bit of weight or they've changed his supplement for this yep. or this has changed here. So you're always feeling like you're being informed. And that's really what the experience should be from a good Communication, place, right? Yeah. Totally. What about if you feel like you haven't picked the right place? Is the process of transferring simple? Because I think sometimes people can feel if I choose this and I get it wrong, this is where I have to be for the rest of my life and I can't go anywhere else. No, seven days notice. Now, oh. if you, even if you paid the accommodation charge, they've got to refund it. They'll transfer it to the new service provider. Happens all the time. It's not an issue. If you are unhappy or the elder can't settle or you've got concerns with the home or your circumstances change, you are completely flexible to move. There is nothing holding you there at all. Bear in mind, though, when you do move into residential care with certain situations, particularly dementia and Alzheimer, you really only want to do the transfer once. You want to be really clear that you're doing this transition once. It's extremely unsettling um, and can be quite distressing. What about the cost? How do you work out how you can afford it because I've got to tell you your little if it wasn't for your little spreadsheet to me (laughs) I could not get my head around how this worked out and also not just in terms of the short-term fees but if your loved one is you know potentially going to be in there for 5, 10, 20 years getting your head around can I afford this for them for that long? Do we have the assets that can be sold? How do you work all that out? All good questions. So with aged care yes it is heavily subsidised by the government but yes also there are costs that you're going to be asked to pay for particularly if you can afford it. So there are four main buckets of fees that you're looking at. The first one is for your basic daily care that's your 24-7 having a carer there and giving you three meals. That's the basic daily care fee. The one that we've spoken about before, $52 a day. Some homes, that's for your care. Then you need a bed or a room. 
So that is an accommodation charge. Now the acronym for that is a RAD, R-A-D, Refundable Accommodation Deposit. It's just that. It's fully refundable. Back to you. The government underwrites or underpins and guarantees the aged care system. So if you pay 500, 600, 700, a million dollars to a care provider for a room, the government has guaranteed that payment back to you. Right. So if you don't have that big lump sum, you have to pay an equivalent of 4.9% of whatever that lump sum is. Correct. So let's say you move into a home and the room cost is $500,000. It's like a real estate transaction. If you have $500,000 or you can sell an asset to get that money, then you'd do it and you'd pay it to the aged care home, knowing that that money is guaranteed. It's just going to sit there. You don't get growth on it. You don't get any income off it, but it's stopping you from having to pay an interest rate. Now, that interest rate is set by the government and it's currently around 4%. You'll be asked to pay 4% on whatever part of that room charge you haven't paid a lump sum on. So if you pay half of it, $250,000, you're going to get charged interest on the balance, the $250,000. The question to ask yourself is, if I've got the funds, should I pay the full RAD or should I pay the daily payment? Well, the full RAD or the full accommodation money comes back to you. The daily payments don't. It makes sense, therefore, if you can afford it to pay the lump sum. So we've gone... The, the basic daily fee. Basic daily fee. We've got the RAD. the RAD. We've got a daily payment on it if you don't have the full amount. So that is where you'll hear a lot of these things, RAD and DAP, right? DAP and RAD. Okay. So the DAP is what you daily pay. Daily accommodation payment. That's if you don't have a RAD. Correct. So that's the money that is the 4% of that. Correct. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they make it so, so hard. They make it very hard. But that's two of the fees. Yes. So we've got your basic daily care fee set by the government. You've got the accommodation charge set by the care provider. And you either pay that as a lump sum or as a daily payment. The government sets the interest rate on that. So from a cash flow perspective, if you don't have the full amount of money to pay for the accommodation charge, you'll be getting the basic daily fee and your interest charge will be adding up that you need to pay on a monthly basis. Then some homes charge extra services or extra service fees or additional fees. That could be because they're running a lifestyle program, they're doing excursions, they've got a really... Yeah, um, you get choice of wine, choice of menu, chef prepared meals, a whole raft of different things get rolled into these. They can be from as low as $16 a day up to $80 or $90 a day, depending on the home that you've gone to. That's the third level of fees. And the final one is the government's going to say, we underwrite, we heavily subsidise aged care. If you've got money, if you've got means, if you're a self-funded retiree or partially funded retiree, you've got assets, we're going to ask you to make a contribution towards your care costs. That is called a means-tested care fee. Well, currently now they've changed it. It's called a cost of care, but ultimately it's a means-tested fee. It's based on your income and your assets that you generate, okay? It captures everything, even the home. If you own a home, its value is capped, currently around $170,000, It's a capped value, but it's still included in the means-tested fee. And it's a bit of a trapdoor. If you own your own home, you're going to be asked to pay the full accommodation charge because the threshold for paying the full accommodation charge just happens to be the capped value of your home. Mm. It's designed to assist families sell property to fund care. The double whammy for the government is as soon as you sell that property, you're a non-homeowner for Centrelink purposes. If you are an aged pensioner, any money that's left over from the payment of the RAD will be assessable. If the government's lucky, they'll get a means-tested care fee out of you and you'll lose the aged pension on the way through unless you work around some of the strategies around that. And at what level of um, cash do you lose your aged care? Depends Depends on on whether you're um, there's a there's a couple or a single and a homeowner or a non-homeowner, roughly 
the numbers you're looking at is is around five hundred thousand up to a million dollars is the range. Up right. to about eight hundred thousand dollars is the range for a couple to keep getting some pension. So you can still sell your house and pay the uh, rad. You can and still then sell you can your house, you pension. can pay the rad, you can do other things. And again, early planning. If you start a few years before you need residential care, you can restructure your finances to ensure that you're going through there in a very good outcome. Mm. Often I'll convert self funded retirees into aged pensioners as part of the journey. So it all depends on what your finances look like and how you structure it. And this is where you just come in so handy, this don't where, you? This is where <laughs> um, weaving your way through the nuances yes. of the system is really, um, really important. There's so many strategies about entering aged care, timing. If it's a couple going in, who goes in first? Do you get an advantage out of putting one in first a day earlier? Before we wrap up, is there sort of one final piece of advice if there was just one takeaway that people could take from this entire series that you would like people to walk away with? What would it be? Start early. I can, can't overemphasize the need to start early. It gives you time. It gives you choice. You'll get a better outcome. You'll probably save money. You will inevitably end up with a better care outcome. I can attest to that. I hope that this series has given you a lot more information than you felt like you had at the beginning of it and managed to decode some of what can feel like a very overwhelming, complex system. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me for this series. And if you would like his help, please head to agecareplanners.com.au. Get that number, give it a call, and it will be a much simpler process. (laughs) Thanks so much, Rachel. Good on you.